Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Change Already, Your Future, Your Choice. This week, I'm going to be concentrating on the Preacher's Daughter series that I started last week. And as I started telling you last week, I really wasn't planning on doing a two-week thought-provoking conscious stream of thoughts coming my way about the series on Lifetime called Preacher's Daughter, but I got into the review of it all and realized there was much more to talk about than only a half an hour last week. So here we are. I'm going to talk about the same topic that I did last week and finish it up with part two of Preacher's Daughters and what I feel about that show that's running on Lifetime at the moment. And apparently... From this week and last week, it must be growing in <clears throat> excuse me in popularity because I went to check on its Facebook page. As much as I cringe to think about social media, it does have a pulse on what's happening in real time all the time. So I went there last week, and it was around a couple thousand. And I don't know what happened between the last week and this week, but that that page has blown out. It's like over a hundred thousand likes on it now. So apparently, people want to know about the lifestyle that I grew up with, which was the preacher's daughter myself in the Midwest, mainly centered on several different places and locations of churches. But it must be something that people are interested in because it's just blowing out. So I went and took a look at what people were saying about it. And of course, there's some good and some bad, but there seems to be a consensus that people want to take this strange, voyeuristic look into this closed society that I call it. And I really had to chuckle because if you haven't watched the show yet, you have to watch it. I think it's on Wednesday or Tuesday nights. I'm not sure. I watch it on demand. So go back and look in your own credits under Lifetime channel. And the very beginning of the show, they have in the viewer credits a discretionary clause. I really had no idea that my life was so racy and that there was so much different language and verbiage inside my society and little club that I grew up with. They realized that it was that provocative in the world. And on the Facebook page and all the different comments and articles that are coming out about it, of course, some are positive and some are negative. And there were dozens of people like me in the preacher's daughter category, I suppose, that had a lot of valid points of what they were saying. Some of them were saying that they liked what was showing, and of course some of them didn't, and that the light wasn't really being shown properly, and a lot of it is staged. Well, you know, I don't know about any of that, nor did I really care, but I liked 
what it's showing to the public, and apparently people want to see it. Last week, I talked about religious fear and the damaging effects that it has on children that grow up in this religious institution and how religious fear is one of the hardest things to shake off once you're in that mode. And I said on that show that you could see it in these young girls' eyes that the fear was starting to come up. And at that point, you can't really tell right now in their growth and where they're at, whether it's parental fear or religious fear. And in that kind of family structure, it gets muted. The the boundaries are blurred when you live in a structure like that. You can't really tell what comes from parental guilt and what is religious guilt. But from my perspective, it's a double, double whammy. And I was talking about religious fear and how people have come forth to me to tell me that they too have the same kind of spiritual fear that they have trouble getting over. So I realized it didn't matter whether the religious fear came from being in front on stage in the church or in the congregation as parishioners in the pews, this fear of moving past and beyond the confines of the religious institution is a common thread through a lot of people. So I encourage each one of you to go back and listen to the archives at Change Already, Your Future, Your Choice, and it's under Preacher's Daughter Series 1. This week, I want to carry on through the theme that I was talking about, and I want to add religious elitism and guilt, and then I want to finish up the show with a flip side. I always want to continue down the path and end up with some good things, the gifts that have come to me, including love and grace that I've gotten from being in the church that I think everyone can achieve at a certain level, but because of the status of being a minister's daughter, I've been gifted with some immaculate different kinds of loves and grace that I think are separate and segregated from the regular community of churchgoers. Now, you have to understand, my father was a very well-known figure in every one of the communities that we lived in, and he was always working in local philanthropic organizations. And he was out there all the time, so he was accessible to everybody. The flip side to it is that he also had very large congregations. And when I mean large, I'm talking large, not the mega churches that we see now because those weren't as common when I was growing up. But it was a considered a large congregation with very high-profile people in his community of followers. And when I mean everywhere, they were everywhere in our community. So you can imagine, anywhere I went, there was always people watching me out of the corner of their eye. Most of them were nice, and most of them would say hello, and they'd go on their merry way, and they really didn't pay attention. But, you know, there's always that select group of people, and and I call them a small section of 
churchgoers in the church population that just loved dirt. They just loved controversy. They liked to churn things up. And I don't think it's just in their church aspect of things, but I think they liked that in life. So they were sporadically placed all over the community too. And being in the inner circle, sometimes you knew who they were and sometimes you didn't. So they were always around as well. So you never really knew who was watching you and what they would take away from what you were doing out in public. Well, you can imagine the pressure that it has as a young girl, and for that matter, my brother too, the pressure followed me wherever I was, whether I was at the gas station, you know, filling up my car with my friends or at a local restaurant, in a movie theater. I always felt this invisible watchers around me. Whether it was in my mind or it was really happening, they always felt there. So I never felt comfortable in situations. You know how you can go somewhere and you can just relax and be yourself? I never really had that opportunity, being a public figure at such a young age, to be able to relax and just stay present in real time with my friends. And for the most part, like I told you last week, I was a pretty good kid. I really didn't do that much, but it, it wasn't even about my own behavior. It was just the mindset of learning and watching other people watch you. I learned really, really early in my own life that I was born into the ministry career it's unlike other professions that where you're as an adult, you pick a frame of mind and you pick a career and you're going to go in that career and you can separate those two lives. You have your professional life and then when you come home, you have your your personal life. In the ministry and as preacher's kids, that really doesn't happen. Those lines of separation really don't happen because as a career of a minister, it's not a nine-to-five job, even though people really thought this. And a lot of people would always ask me, what's my dad do after Sunday and in the morning? What they didn't understand was the background stuff of what's happening. People are always in crisis. People are always having weddings. People are always having events. And it's a constant influx of people coming in and out of your life. So unlike other professions, I had to grow up and be a mature, somewhat adult, like the children and girls that you see on this show, they are thrown into a mature career with a childhood mind. It really is a family career, and it's a 24-hour job from sunup the sundown, contrary to what people believe out there on the streets, it really is. So one of the things that happens is that the minute that you arrive here on the planet, basically, you become a childhood role model for other children to aspire to be. You really can never escape that scrutiny, whether it's in real time 
or just a perceived thought that you have all the time. I can remember when I was a little kid, I can't remember, when you lose teeth, around six or seven maybe or even earlier than that, I, for some reason, was sitting in the front pew, and I, I really never stood still because it was it's a long time for any kid to sit still. And my tooth popped out, and, and I just immediately, right in the middle of my father's sermon, just popped up, and I just started searching on the carpet for my my um, tooth that I had lost, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I felt like Jesus was speaking to me. I heard this, Jill, get back in your seat. And it was my father had momentarily popped from being a minister into a parent and told me to get back into my pew seat and that we would look for it later right in the middle of the sermon. That's an exaggerated example, and it didn't happen all the time. There are a few other incidents that I can remember in my head. But that's the kind of example I'm talking about is that even as parents, you had to double duty all the time. So it was very hard to be a role model when my tooth was on the ground and I was just acting like a kid. Plus, it doesn't help you when you're constantly being reminded, from my parents at least, that we always had to put our concerns for others before the needs of ourselves. Now, this one, to be honest with you, has carried this guilt through my whole life, and it's probably been, like I talked about last week, religious fear. This is the second part to the story. It's been the hardest nut to crack for me so far. Even today, I struggle all the time because our Bible tells us love our neighbors as ourselves. And I was always taught to take it one step further, love your neighbor more than you love yourself. So I was always putting the needs of others in front of myself and always been envious of watching people that are not selfish, but self-centered in a way of love and grace for themselves and the ability to say no. I see this starting to happen in these young girls. At some level, they want approval so badly from the people around them, not just their parents, but the congregation themselves, that they're willing to do whatever it takes to stay in good graces with the community. I have trouble with that, and it's like you go against the religious thought and your parental thought and communal thought so you come out with religious guilt and feeling really bad about yourself. So I really have to struggle all the time. And if you don't understand it, it's really hard to have your own thoughts and ideas shaped by a structure that comes from grace of other people. The church family is very dependent on the grace of others. And that's an extremely precocious place to build your future upon and a strong family structure. Think about it like this. When you're growing up, you you are able to have your own destiny. And at some level, the church families are so codependent on what their 
community deems important for them. It's a day-by-day thing. You never know what's going to come next. So you have to be very cautious to stay in the middle zone of not upsetting either side. It's very hard because they believe they have a right to be your secondary parent, your secondary advisor, and caretaker at any moment that I was growing up. It was very hard because you never knew where it was going to come from. And, of course, as you see in the show, these parents have very strict manners in which they're raising their children. Well, if you think about compounding that ten times over with a church community that also feels like you are their own children, you're bombarded with different kinds of parenting all the time. I detail more of this in my biography section of my book, Beyond the Pews, Breaking with Tradition and Letting Go. I really wanted to get down into the nitty-gritty part of all of this and go beyond what people see. For some reason, people are really intrigued on going behind the scenes, going behind the pews. And I did the best I could to give you an intimate look to how I was shaped as an adult in my life from the past of my ministerial alliance and life in the church. But the background in the 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 book itself gives you more detail of what I'm talking about. So I encourage you, if you have an inkling and you find this just fascinating for some reason, like the other 100,000 people on Facebook, go find the book. And, of course, you can find it anywhere at your bookstore and on Amazon. It's always strange when you notice other people noticing you and then you have to put your reactions to it. Like I told you, religious guilt has been the hardest part that I've had to deal with. These horrible feelings of betrayal to an institution that, quite frankly, shaped me into a very fine spiritual person and that I intrinsically love in my heart the influences of a higher power. But when you have the choice to step away from these institutional influences that many people are doing, apparently, according to statistics, and you try to fly religiously solo, uncumbered from all these religious strengths, it's a sacrifice. At some level, I had to sacrifice my own needs in the way of staying connected with this establishment in order to fly free from the guilt that I was feeling. You have to remember this kind of religious sanctuaries and institutions have been around and been shaping humankind for centuries. When I started putting the book out there, I really started seeing some interesting reactions that I talked about last week. I think this is why the show is so popular with the younger crowd. It's starting to show the rawness and the imperfections in these these perfectionistic communities of ministers' kids. At some level, I really applaud these brave families for pulling back the veil and showing 
staged or not, it's giving a public what they want to see, which is the imperfection in a perfection society. I hope at some level people begin to realize as they're watching this series unfold, whether it's with or without the God source present, front and center, it's a hard line for people to walk between good and evil. Whether you have religious boundaries or spiritual morality, at some level, each one of us have to deal with the daily challenge of making good, sound, spiritual decisions. The difference now is that the public out there has a different kind of view about religion. They show these these families as being an image of perfectionism and impeccabilism. And at some level, they are elitist, that somehow we're closer to the hierarchy of the God source and that we've been given a golden ticket for the service that we've done. Once you get to the outside like I have and you start looking in, you believe that guilt is a commonplace that keeps everybody in this religious circle. What I'm talking about is being able to be a part of the community. But once you step back away from the fire, things become very clear, at least they did for me. The message of human guilt and the religious loop keeps us from leaving and flying on our own. When I first the book first came out, I had an opportunity to sit with one of my father's best friends who believe it or not, as a minister, (laughs) my inner circle that we hung out, of course, for other ministers to a certain extent and ministers' families because that's where we could be comfortable and let our hair down, so to speak. He said after reading the book, he told me a few insightful things, and as he started listening, my intuitive button just went off and said, listen to everything he's saying because I wanted to take in what he was saying to me, because I knew at some point I would have to talk about it, but I just didn't know when. He was telling me that the young people today, my age and lower, especially the 20-somethings people, they do not believe in coming from a place of fear or guilt about their higher power anymore. He was telling me that those days were gone and that people are no longer afraid of doing things right or wrong and angering the powers to be. They didn't buy into that concept that if they made a mistake or they did go down one direction that there'd be no repentance and that they couldn't come back and the only way they could do that was to surrender and live in guilt and fear. It seems that this whole idea of religious guilt to get them back in line, he told me isn't they're not buying into that theory anymore, which makes sense to me because if you talk to any of these young people and people that have broken away from the institution, which, by the way, is the highest level it's ever been, people are now looking to a more passive loving approach without the human guilt and fear involved. 
They refuse to be guilty for loving their neighbors as themselves, even when their neighbors are Jewish, Muslims, Sikhs, or Buddhists. They're no longer feeling guilty or shameful for being friends and bringing them back into submission. The guilt and fear has been replaced now with logic and personal resolution, both in relationships and inward self-awareness. Those goals are gone, and I don't think, and my minister friend said he didn't believe it, they were ever coming back anymore. We've moved in what I call the second awakening in the book, which is a more peaceful world with harmony and truth. And the truth level of it all is whatever you choose it to be. Somehow, these young girls are starting to demonstrate and fight against living in the guilt. Some of them are pushing against the parental shame and guilt and the religious shame and guilt. Others are starting to fold under the pressure. We'll have to watch and see, like I said last time, where this is all going to end up. I have a feeling one or two of them are going to get back in line and the other ones are going to step away. I'm not saying that they can't make it through. I'm just saying there has to be some sensibility to it. There's a big crowd of people that believe that we, as normal human beings that have our own moral compasses inside of us, are not sensible enough to make our own decisions from right and wrong. There seems to be some confusion in the church at some level that if we don't have these boundaries, we'll become a moral-less society that we need these human religious boundaries to stay strong and on the moral side of the process. I don't think a lot of people are buying into that anymore, and I'm not real sure where they're going to go next with all of this. Again, we'll have to change and find out. One of the things that I'm particularly interested in seeing is how the whole dating thing comes out. I don't want to go into the whole boring story, but I too had the same kind of dating restrictions enforced with me on my teenage years. Thank goodness, I don't think I really needed it because it was just more about the parents and the religious aspect than myself. And it was nice to know that there were some people in the world that were willing to play and be a part of my life, even in the confines and strictness of what they had to be involved in, too. I really believe that the youth of today are swinging the pendulum to the other side. They're looking for something bigger, but they're not sure what it is. Like all generations and the kids in the show, they need to have a cause. And right now, their cause is being self-imposed. It'll be interesting to track them about 10 years to see if they break through this religious confines that they live in right now and see if they go beyond the pews into a more open spiritual conversation with the other people. The last part I want to talk about is 
some of the payoffs that I've had. Listen, I've had a lovely life because I've been a minister's daughter. I've been able to be shown things that people don't understand. One of my favorite parts about the entire church were the people, the relationships, the privileges that I've been given, and the enrichment that I've had through my life. The little perks you don't think about and you don't see on the show. I've been able to see firsthand the purity and the form of community that does create itself around a religious faction. People in my inner circle that I can trust for the rest of my life and the charity that they've given to the less fortunate. Religious institutions are some way an equalizer for the universe. It's interesting where we're at right now, and I'm not sure they even know what they need to do next. But the competition to enlightenment is certainly an interesting aspect to look at as a social service in the world. So I hope that you understand as you watch the show even though the children and the girls are growing inside this sanctuary and this religious faction, they will have a payoff in the end. We'll just have to stay tuned and figure out what that is, and hopefully they'll be able to figure it out themselves. Next week I'm going to be on the road again broadcasting from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and my guest will be Delilah from Imagine Publicity. I talk about her enough. I figured at some point I should have her on talking about social media, branding, and such. But remember, between now and then, change doesn't have to be difficult, but it is necessary to grow. I'll see you same time, same place, high noon, Blog Talk Radio. Thanks for joining Jillian today. Don't miss her famous at-home personal enrichment lessons. You can complete them on your own time to accelerate your personal change. They're simple and nothing like you've experienced before. Just like Jillian, warm and fuzzy with an attitude. So change already.